with that, um, Chance, would you mind grabbing me some water? Since you're sitting right there, I'm going to take, take advantage of that. You can even throw it. Chance is visiting us from the Hebrew campus, coming to help us sing. So we appreciate his family being here. So we're continuing in our series um, called Believe. And we are on week eight of 30 weeks. Now, if you haven't been here, I want to give you kind of a little recap of where we've been. The series is called Believe because we're looking at um, 30 ways that we, we believe the things that Jesus told us to believe. It's broken up into three different sections, each section 10 weeks. And this first 10 weeks is dedicated to thinking like Jesus. Because what we think really does determine a lot of what we'll do and, 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 and who we'll become. The first five weeks of this series were what we call vertical beliefs, meaning that they had a lot to do with you and God. They were things that we, we, we as a church choose to believe, but they really didn't have to do with too many other people. It was between you and God. We talked about we have one God versus many gods versus um, becoming gods. We have one God. We believe there's one God. We also believe the second week that this God is a personal God. That he's a God who loves us and wants a relationship with us. Week three, we talked about how this one true God, who's also a personal God, offered us salvation to join a relationship with him. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because of our own good works or our own behavior, but because of what Jesus did, we've been given an invitation into having a salvation relationship with God. And then we talked about the Bible and how God didn't leave us here without instructions and without something to help us move through life. He gave us his word, which we believe God's word comes alive. We believe it's the only book because it is actually the word of God that's been written down and given to us, and it comes to life in our lives. And we talked about our fifth week of our vertical relationship with God is, is our identity in Christ. And what's it mean if, if this one true God who's also a personal God who's offered us salvation because of Jesus and then gave us instructions on in how to live and how to, how to move inside him, he gave us a new identity in him, which means because of Jesus, we are new creations in Christ. And who we used to be is not who we are anymore. We have an identity as children of God. And then the second half of this think section, we started looking at some more horizontal beliefs, meaning that they, they still have to do with us and God, but they're also now reaching into us and other people. And the first week we talked about what the church is. And, and if, you've been a, if you've been a part of the church for a long time, you might, you might be so accustomed to church that you don't ask the question. But when I read the Bible, especially the New Testament, I read that Jesus died for my sins, rose from the dead, gave me salvation, and then he gave his Holy Spirit to live inside of me and his word, the Bible. Well, if I have a relationship with God's Holy Spirit that dwells inside of me, I can't get away from it, and I have God's word, why would I need the church? To me, it seems like I have everything. And it's important that we take a step back to remember why God gave us the church. And, and when we talked about the church, we looked at how the, God's church is the picture of Jesus Christ. And I don't, on my own, I don't represent the perfect picture of Christ. I represent a piece of the picture of Christ. But it's when we come together as a church that we actually start to reflect the person of Jesus Christ. And we're not supposed to do life on our own. We are made and created and designed to live within community, and that's the church. And then last week, we talked about something that has very much to do with this week. Last week's message and this week's message are very much connected. And last week, we talked about humanity. Because we live in a time where humanity can be really, really ugly. Yes. 
Some of you are like, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Humanity can do really ugly things. I mean, just this morning, it was on, I got a news alert that a police officer was shot and killed down in West Valley. Humanity's ugly. And, 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 and there's a question that comes down to our basic beliefs of how do we view humanity? Do we love humanity? Do we judge humanity? Do we try and separate ourselves from humanity? What does God see when he sees people? And, and last week's very much connected to this week because last week we discovered that God loves his creation. In spite of its flaws, in spite of its brokenness, in spite of its sins, God loves people. In fact, he says that he desires all people to come to a relationship with him. God loves people, and that should change the way that we see people. We need to see people from the view and the lens that God sees them, which is, yeah, we're broken, but we show love because every human life is valuable in God's eyes. There's not one person that's more valuable to God than another. The, 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 the analogy that Shane used is the, the ISIS member is just as loved as the NRA member. What? Or we took it home in Hebrew, we said the Republican is just as loved as the Democrat. Whoa, Mike. Whoa. Says the Democrat. <laughs> Don't listen to her. I'm independent. <clears throat> but God loves each of us. But we could not attack this week's topic unless we understood last week's. Because this week we talk about compassion. And I love this because compassion is not the action. Because see, the next 10 weeks we talk about how the things we believe turn into the things we do. And, and, and Shane and I were talking about this week and we said, wouldn't compassion be part of the next 10 weeks, which is what we do? Isn't compassion something we do? And what we discovered is absolutely it's something we do. But more than just compassion being something that we act out, compassion is very much a belief and, and, and something that is a truth that changes the way we think. And, and the story we're going to look at today is a story that most of you are familiar with. We're going to look at it with a little bit of fresh eyes. So if you've heard this story, which I'm sure you have, bear with me. But it's in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And we're going to look at the story of the great Samaritan. So please turn with me to, that, to, to Luke chapter 10. The key idea this week is we believe God calls all Christians to show compassion to people in need. And it's not just something we do, it's, it's, it, we change the way we look at compassion. We change the way we look at other people, and that's why last week's is so connected to this week. If we don't think humanity's worth it, we're not going to live out compassionately. If we don't think human lives are worth it, we're not going to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Um, so open up with me. I'm going to start reading in verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one located around you. Starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. In reply, or, or the, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man... He passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, 
when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that Compassion isn't a byproduct of your church. It's not just something that we feel is valuable and we do it once in a while, but living out your heart of compassion in the world is is part of what it really means to know you. Lord, I pray you would give us a a new set of eyes when it comes to how we view the world. Give us a new set of eyes on, on how we take responsibility for those around us. Lord, this is one of the most stretching areas of our faith. And I pray that today everybody in here would have a heart that's ready to be stretched, that we're ready to uh, receive what you have for us, the truth that you have in your word. So Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. So, pretty common story. Most of us know this story. I'm going to break it down. I'm going to go little kid, flannel graph, okay? Man... (laughs) Man comes to Jesus, expert in the law, says, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? He probably thought Jesus would say, a hundred push-ups. But instead he said, what does the law say? You're a Jew. Well, he summed up the law perfectly. He said the whole purpose, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yep. Pretty powerful moment. Yep, that's it. But then the man wanted to test Jesus and said, okay, but then what are the boundaries of my neighbor? What does that mean? Is my neighbor my family? Is my neighbor people who agree with me? Is my neighbor those in my community that I know? Who, who is my neighbor exactly? Which is a kind of a coy way of him to say, who don't I have to love as myself? That's really what he was asking. Like, where's the line? So that I know that on this side I have to love them as myself, and on this side... Hopefully somebody else loves them as themselves. But there's a line. And Jesus tells them a story to help illustrate the point. And that story is a common story. Almost every Judeo-Christian faith knows this story. And and the truth in this story is fantastic. So, the guy's traveling from Jericho to to Jerusalem. Historians and, and, and people who know more than I do say that that road is long. And back then it was dangerous. So this guy's traveling by himself down a dangerous road. And guess what happens? Danger. He gets robbed, he gets beaten, he's left half dead and naked. Terrible place to be left, just so you know. So he's humiliated, he's half dead on the side of the road, and then here comes his priest. Now priests, since most of us aren't Jewish and we don't have a priest, um, the Bible says we don't need a priest interceding for us, but back then there was a priest that interceded on behalf of the people according to the Jewish law. And the priest would make sacrifices for the people. So... In common terms, a priest is like a pastor. But don't say that. Like, Don't start believing that I'm your priest, because I'm not. The Holy Spirit now makes... He's the one who brings connection between you and God, not me. But back then, the priest made sacrifices on account of the people. So he was like a professional Christian. 
He was the ultimate. He worked for the church. That's what he did for a living. So here comes this guy who works for the church. And he sees this man beaten, naked, half dead on the side of the road. I almost said half naked and dead. He's fully naked, half dead. And what he does is he sees him and he walks on the other side. Not my problem. We'll kind of discuss what maybe was going through his head because it goes through our heads too when we see someone in trouble. And then comes a Levite. Obviously, once again, if you're not of a Jewish background, you might not know what a Levite is. A Levite are people specifically set aside to serve as the assistants of the priests. So it's like the priest's right-hand man. So this guy's also a professional churchgoer. He works in the church. Every day he goes to the church and he does his duties and then he goes home. He works for God. He sees this guy and he has the exact same response as the priest. Oh, we'll go on around this man. And then here comes a Samaritan. Once again, if you're not of Jewish background, you might not know that we hate Samaritans. Okay? We don't. But if you're a Jew, Jews hate Samaritans. There's an old saying that said, nothing good can come out of Samaria. So here's this good-for-nothing Samaritan walking. Now, naturally, if the religious people walk past this guy, the Samaritans are, the Samaritans guy going to pass him up too because Samaritans are good for nothing. And then here comes a Samaritan, and he, he sees the guy, and the Bible says he had compassion on him. He took pity on him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine, which I guess was some sort of like old doctor trick. We don't do that today. But he, he sacrificed some oil and wine. He put him on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn and took care of him. Then he gave the innkeeper two silver coins, said if it goes back past this to take care of him, I'll come back and pay you. And then he leaves. Then Jesus says, which of these men took care of their neighbor? And they said, well, the Samaritan. He said, go and do likewise. See, when we talk about the word compassion, compassion is more than just a feeling. Sometimes we think of compassion as you have sympathy for somebody. But see, in this passage, the word compassion or took pity is the same word as compassion. It's this Greek word that I'm going to totally, totally butcher. But the Greek word for this is splonknizomai. And this word actually means to be torn up in your guts. It's the word that means, okay, so if I was on a road trip and all of a sudden the McDonald's breakfast I ate was starting to settle... I would need to splunk nizomai to a bathroom quick. My guts are turning. Does that make sense? Can't ignore this. It's my guts. That's that word. That word means that it is such a pain that you can't ignore it. Um, it's almost as if he was getting, when you have real compassion on somebody, it's not sympathy. It's like somebody kicked you in the gut. You can't ignore it. And in this situation, he saw this man and he actually was hurt in his gut for him. Now, I love that because back then the gut was like your heart. When you felt something, it was like your guts. But I like that. I like that more than up here where we just, it, it's tender and it feels. We have the feels right now. Back then when, it was your, when, when you really felt something, they, they, they said it, it twisted your gut. And, and you know if you've ever had your gut twisted, you can't ignore it. And, and today, I mean, the English word compassion, the etymology, like the, 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 it's a combination of two words, with pain. Passion, we've kind of hijacked that word. Passion means pain. That's why if you've ever seen the passion of the Christ, it's not like the, the great joy of the Christ. Passion means pain. 
So when we are having compassion on somebody, it means that we are joining them in their pain and experiencing it that it is experiencing that pain with them. The first blank in your notes and something that we have to learn about compassion, how compassion separates itself from just sympathy or feeling bad for somebody, is compassion does something. Compassion does something. Which means when we feel compassion, just like when we get kicked in the gut, it forces us to move into action. When this Samaritan man, he was moved into action. And here's a couple of reasons. I kind of was... I was kind of looking at why, and it's all speculation, but I think we can all understand them. Looking at reasons why the priest and the Levite went to the other side of the road. One of the reasons I came to is they were too busy to deal with compassion. They had a plan. You've got to remember, they work at the church all the time. They, in their minds, they're serving people all the time. And now they see this guy in need... And they said, and this is just a possibility, they said, you know what, I can't turn in my gut right now. I need to get home. Or I need to get to the temple. We don't know where they were going. But I'm too busy. I've got a plan. And when we see somebody who needs help, the human side of us says, do something. And so naturally they would go on the other side of the road. Because in this scenario, remember, we're speculating. In this scenario... I don't have time to do this. And if I go over there, I'm going to feel compassion for him. So instead, I'm going to stay on the other side of the road and ignore it. You know, when we see somebody in need, oftentimes we choose to ignore the need. Not because we don't have compassion, but because we know that our compassion will kick in. And we don't want to hurt for somebody. Maybe, maybe we've got a plan already. We've got a, re- a road and a route we're walking. And we don't want that to get in the way. Another reason is we're callous, we're indifferent. You know, I, you know, if you've seen a lot of hurt, at some point you can't process it anymore, so you become hardened. It's not a bad thing, it's a reality. You know, you look at somebody who works in an emergency room. If you felt pain and compassion with every single person that came through, you're going to have a heart attack at 30. You can't. So naturally you'd become a little calloused. And, and callous just means you don't feel it as much as you used to. Maybe, maybe the priest and Levite, in their mind, they said, I mean, for all we know, that people were robbed all the time on this road. Maybe, th- maybe this was the fifth naked, half-dead guy they saw. Maybe they were just doing as they've been doing to all the other ones. Maybe this is common, and maybe they, they're indifferent. And they said, no, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is the church. Hmm, looks like this one's all the way naked. <laughs> Bummer, moving forward. Maybe they were indifferent. You know, we live in a world that I think a lot of us, when it comes to compassion, we don't feel it like we used to. Because we've seen so much hurt that we've made a decision at some point that I can't feel pain with everybody that hurts anymore. So we choose instead to be indifferent and and ambiguous to the pain. And we, we allow it to callous over and harden our heart towards people who are in need. So when we see it, no longer is it a gut-wrenching feeling, but more of a, not, you know, in our heads we'll go, yeah, they're hurting. Moving on. Because we live in a world with a lot of hurt. Sometimes you've got to do that. The third one, in my mind, and these aren't in your notes. I was just kind of brainstorming why somebody would ignore. The third one is, maybe they had kind of a condemning, judgmental attitude. 
You know, maybe, maybe this road is dangerous. Like I said, historians say this road is dangerous. Maybe they said when they walked by, they said, well, shouldn't have been traveling by yourself. You had it coming to you. Maybe you're hurt because you brought it on. Maybe next time, because you're half dead, there should be half a life left. Maybe next time you'll remember that we don't walk this road by ourselves. You should have known that. Maybe they didn't help him because in their minds, hopefully you learned a lesson. I don't know. We're speculating. It doesn't tell us why they ignored him. There's a whole bunch of reasons why they could have ignored him. But see, the Samaritan, when he came by, he said, when he let that, that gut-wrenching feeling of something needs to happen here move him into action. See, oftentimes, we judge ourselves we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we don't really judge ourselves by our actions. We say, I should do something, or I plan on doing something, but we don't do it. And we think, oh no, that was enough. But see, this Samaritan, he, he let this pain that another human being was going through stop his plan. It made him, it, he derailed what he was working on. Wherever he was going, it stopped. And then it cost him. Your next blank is... Compassion costs something. Compassion costs something. See, it cost the Samaritan to stop and minister to this man. It cost him time. It cost him energy. It says that he put the guy on his donkey, which means he walked for however that route was. He didn't have to walk. He had his own donkey. We all know donkeys can't pull very much. I didn't really know that. I just say, we're in cameras. I figure you all know that. No? <laughs> It's not a horse, folks. It's a donkey. So he put the guy on his own donkey. And then when he went to the inn, he paid out of his own pocket to take care of him. It cost him something. It wasn't free. And compassion moves us to action. If it doesn't move you to action, it's not compassion. And compassion will cost you. It will cost you. Now, I ask myself a question. We live in a world where there's too much to do. There's too many things that we could get involved in. There's too many people hurting. We could never on our own solve all of the hurt in the world, can we? We can't. And so often we kind of ask ourselves the question, but what should I do? And I came up with two rules, and this is just me spitballing again. Um, Kristen and I have asked this question a couple times, but I feel like this lesson also kind of emphasizes it. When it comes to what we should do, with all the hurt around us, I feel like this, at least in this parable, this lesson tells us at least one thing. We need to do, we, we need to be serving with compassion in the areas that are near me. If it's near me, God probably wants you to do something. And that's what I mean, like physical, like it, it's within your geographic location. See, the Samaritan was walking down the road and he saw something and he, it didn't stop him. I mean, I mean, his plans didn't stop him. The compassion stopped him. See, we put boundaries to say, well, well who's my neighbor in Camus? Well, when, when God puts somebody in front of you, that's near you. And God often, if he's putting someone in front of you, it means he wants you to do something. It's there. You know, there's a passage I've shared with you a number of times, but out of Acts 17, that uh, I just love it. It's this little tiny theological nugget where Paul says that, God knows the times and the boundaries of your dwelling, which is a really nice way of saying God knew when you existed and he knew where you existed so that you could blank, 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 which means God knows exactly where you are right now 
and the time you are right now. So when we have encounters, whether it's at work or at home or on the road, they're not accidental. Now, I'm not saying that every single thing you do has this profound meaning. I'm I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is when you come across somebody who needs help, and in your mind you're going to have those choices, the same one that the priests and Levites had if I'm going to go around and ignore it, you know, what God was saying is God knew that you were going to walk by it. And maybe God put that person there on purpose because he knew you were going to walk by it so that you could do something about it. That's why I say, if it's near you, if it comes across your plate, maybe God wants you to act out and live out compassion towards that situation. And then the second one is, is it dear to me? Um, This means if you have a project, if God's moved you in compassion to something that might not be in front of you, maybe it's something in another country or another city or another state. It's 2016. We have access to the whole world right now. It's very possible to make an impact and live out compassion for something that's not in front of you. You know, that's why we, that's why we, we give towards missions. That's why we go on mission trips. That's why we, we serve refugees is because we have the opportunity to live. And that's when I say that the compassion is burning in you for something that might not be right in front of you. But if God's not letting you ignore something that's going on in the world, maybe that's on purpose. Maybe God's not allowing the pain to go away because he wants you to do something about it. Now, there was a time when you couldn't do that. You only saw what was in front of you. 2016, you can, I can Skype with somebody in Mongolia today. Yeah, that's weird, right? You can do something, and that's why I say the second rule is if it's something dear to you, if God's got your attention for something in the world, and he says, this, these people are hurting, and I want you to do something about it, pay attention. Maybe God's not letting that pain go away on purpose because he knows that you can do something about it. So compassion costs something. I want to read you our, our, our verse for today. This is our main verse. It's from Psalms chapter 82, verse 3 through 4. Psalms 82, verse 3, for 4, 3 through 4. It says, Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. And deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless, maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. I want to read you one more passage before we jump into that from Deuteronomy. And you don't have to turn there. I just want to read this to you. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are are to love those who are aliens, for you yourself were aliens in Egypt. Your next blank in there is we're called to defend. We're called to defend. This isn't just something we do. This is a characteristic of who God's people are. We're called to defend those who cannot defend themselves. In, in this, in Deuteronomy, and then 2,000 years later, they call it the fatherless, the, which is the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. Now, I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but what I am saying is God puts people in front of us who have nobody to stand for them, and they're not standing on their own. 
And one of the characteristics of Jesus' church is they're going to stand for people who don't have anybody standing for them. Now, thank God we live in a time where we don't have orphanages anymore. Not in America. We have orphanages in every other country. You know why we don't have orphanages here? Because we're awesome. Because we created a system where instead of putting kids in a big home by themselves, we put them in people's homes called the foster system. But there's still, so we don't, we're not surrounded by orphans like some places of the world, but we still are surrounded by people who have nobody standing for them. When God puts somebody across your plate that doesn't have anybody to stand on their feet for themselves, maybe God put you in their path so that you could stand for them. We defend them because there will always be wicked people who will take advantage of them. There will always be wicked people who will prey on the weak. They will prey on the elderly. This is huge in America right now. Where there's, there's full call centers that all they do is they call widows and the elderly so that they could steal their money. That's all they do. And they need people standing for them and saying, no, I'm not going to let this happen. So compassion isn't just helping somebody that's hurting. Compassion also means that we are going to stand and defend somebody who's being taken advantage of because nobody else is standing for them. That might be someone in your own family. might be someone in your neighborhood. But we're called to stand for them. Um, the next one is uphold. This also kind of means like maintain. I think you might say that in your bulletins. Maintain the rights. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. See, in my, from what I see of maintain the rights, that means that when, when we're upholding and maintaining, this is when we often will take a less lifestyle for ourselves so that we can help somebody who is without to be with. Somebody who's poor and oppressed, maintaining the rights means that we are actively as part of our lifestyle, not a one-time thing. See, this Samaritan, obviously, was probably a lifestyle, but this was a one-time thing. He jumped out there and helped this man. But maintaining is when we say, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice part of what could be a gain to me to give somebody who doesn't have what they need. You know, you look at, this isn't uncommon, look at, you know, child sponsorship. When you sponsor a child, you're paying a monthly amount to give to a child who is in need. And, you know, even though it's only $30 a month, I know families that $30 a month is a huge amount of money. And, and you might be in that position. And so when you sacrifice that amount of money to help a child get the food and education and medical care that they need, that's upholding the rights of the oppressed, is you are helping maintain something for them. And I, and I think all of us are in a position where we can help in some way, but often, and this isn't because of you, but just because of the American dream, most of us already live well beyond our financial means. <laughs> so it's not a matter of just cutting back. It's a matter of, I already can't afford my own lifestyle. <laughs> the bank kind of owns my lifestyle right now, so I can't really do anything about it. But getting to a place where you can help maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. And that's not just a one-time thing. That's actually changing your lifestyle because of the compassion God gave you. I love Mountain View does a... We, we, we've intentionally, over the last three years, sponsored a group in Honduras. It's the same place we go visit twice a year um, called um, Cristo Centro Penasquitos. And it's, it's, a, it's a food and medical and education program in um, one of the poorest poor areas of Honduras. And what you do is for $30 a month, $36 a month, you provide the food they need, the education, and the medical care they need. 
And I've been down there four times, and I'll tell you that these children, they serve 80 children a day from their neighborhood. And these 80 children get one meal a day, and that's the meal that they get served to them from this ministry. Because these, I mean, we're talking the poorest of the poor. The average job out there is collecting trash, separating the recycling, and selling the recycling. And these kids are on a track right now to become recycle collectors. It's what they do. It's, it's, it's culturally handed down to them. And because of, at least through Mountain View, 26 of these children are sponsored, which means 26 of them, somebody up here is maintaining the right of them to get food, to get health care, and to get education. Now, I've been down there, and I'll tell you what. They have 80 kids. I think 50 of them are, are supported, and they feed all the rest of them because in their minds, God will provide. But they could be serving more kids, you know, that's what I mean is, is when it comes to compassion, it's not just about one-time things. It's about sometimes compassion will drive us to do something that actually changes our lifestyle, changes the way you live. Um, the last one is, or the, the next one is rescue and deliver. Rescue and deliver. This is definitely kind of a piggyback on the, the defend, but he calls us to, to rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. You know, there's a, a sociological term that you might have heard of. It's called bystander syndrome. And this is it's called bystander syndrome. And bystander syndrome is when, when something happens in a large group, if there's a lot of people observing, there's less of a chance that anybody will do something about it. Because the way that bystander syndrome works is you assume that somebody else is going to step in and do it. And in fact, so much so that they say that in a large group, you're, if, if there's a large group of people watching an event take place where somebody needs help, most likely nobody's going to do it. They've seen this on subways. They've seen this in large apartment buildings. There was a story about 10 years ago of a woman who was murdered in this apartment building. And the whole apartment building was full of people. Nobody did anything. And then nobody even called the police. Because every single person in that apartment building assumed somebody else would do it. And when it comes to rescuing and delivering, it's saying, I'm going to take responsibility right now. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do it. If there's a need, I'm not going to assume somebody else is going to step in and take care of it. I'm going to do it and take responsibility. And that's compassion. I want to share with you as we close, uh, kind of a, it's one of the toughest passages in scripture, but it's so important. Jesus, describing this compassion in Matthew chapter 25, he tells his, his followers, he says, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now listen to this. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you invited, looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And they said, but when did we see you do these things? When did we, when did we do this? We didn't do any of these things with you, Jesus. And he said, whatever you did for the least of them, you did unto me. And then he looked at the other people and he said, but you didn't do this. You didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. You didn't visit me in prison. And they looked at him and they said, when did we see you? When did we see you in need, Jesus? And he said, whatever you didn't do to the least of these, you didn't do to me. Man, every time I read that, it cuts in. 
You know, the reason that compassion is not just an action, but it's one of our core beliefs, is because Jesus says that your love for him is going to be measured by your love for other people. Go back to the beginning of this story. The Levite and the priest were too consumed with their churchly work that they missed the work in the street in front of them. And we got to make sure that we don't fall into that same trap where we're so convinced that God's doing a work in here that we forget that God has also given us a work out there, in the streets, with our neighbors, with those who come across our path. Your love for God can accurately be measured by your love for other people. In fact, one of those passages we read, right before that he says, your sacrifices are ugly. If you want to serve me, go serve the person in need. But we need to be a people who are known not just for what goes on in this room. I love worshiping God in here, and I love being with my family. I love my church family. But we need to be really careful not to fall into that same trap that the priest and the Levite fell into, where they thought that what happened in this room was what took priority. When he's saying, no, 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 you'll know them by their love. And we need to be the ones who love our community and love those in need. A little tidbit, Jesus in his ministry, shared this with you guys a few times, but in Jesus' ministry, he was a healer, he cast out demons, he was doing supernatural stuff, but he made it clear that he did those things, he helped, he served those in need, because when he served them in need, it gave them an open heart so he got to tell them about the truth. See, he was concerned about souls. And when somebody's in need, it's not manipulation to go serve them. It's not manipulation to go and say, hey, in Jesus' name, I'm going to help you out. But we need to get back to a place where we don't say, Jesus loves you when somebody's in need. We serve that need. And then guess what? They're going to want to hear what you have to say. You know, if you've ever done international missions, you look at a kid who hasn't eaten for a week and you say, Jesus loves you. And they go, okay, is he going to feed me? But once you feed them, and once we serve, that's one of Jesus' tactics to get into somebody's life and to prove to them that he cares about them. And we have this opportunity. Um, there's a story that Shane likes to share that's super cheesy, but I, he thinks it's cheesy. I think it's fantastic. Um, it's a story about a, a man walking on the beach. And uh, he was walking on the beach, and as he... He, there was a high tide that just went out and it left all of these starfish scattered on the beach. And he could see that all of them were still alive. They were still slightly moving. But, I mean, he's looking at this beach and he goes, they're all going to die. I mean, who could do anything about that? And he sees this little kid running on the beach and he was picking up starfish and chucking them into the sea. And then he would run with sweat dripping off his face and he was chucking them back into the ocean. And the old man said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm saving the starfish. And he said, you're never going to save them all. What does it even matter? And he picked another one up and he said, but it matters to this one. And he threw it back in the sea. And you know what? We live in a world where the, the, there's, there's more needs and there's more potential to feel compassion than ever before. And it's easy to get so burdened down that you say, what's the point? But I want you to remember, just like that little kid with the starfish said, it matters to this one. There's going to be opportunities where you might say, you know what? I'm not solving the world's problems by serving this person. But it matters to this person. And that's enough. That's enough reason to do it. At the end of that passage, Jesus said, go and do likewise. 